Um, but, um, but, you know, in terms of threats to society and so forth, uh, this fits right in. Um, and, um, you know, um, I should say first that, that we need to solve a lot of local problems, more immediate problems, um, before focusing on, um, on killer asteroids and stuff. But, um, but nevertheless, I mean, this is something that I've worked on for a good many years, and, and, um, and um, so I'd just like to share some of my perspectives on, on this subject. Um, the picture that, that I'm showing here is, um, is from a calculation that I did um, probably 15 years ago um, of the asteroid that impacted um, the Chicxulub area in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico um, and is associated with the, uh, um, the massive extinction event at the end of the Cretaceous, uh, the so-called dinosaur killer. And, um, and it's been wrapped on, a, on um, an image of what the... Um, what the uh, Caribbean looked like, or the Gulf of Mexico looked like at the time of the um, end of the Cretaceous um, by folks at the Natural um, History Museum in, um, in New York City. <clears throat> so <clears throat> um, the solar system is a dangerous place um, on long enough timescales. Um, in, um, in green are all the asteroids of the main belt. Um, the orbits of the major of the planets are shown here. Um, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and Jupiter. Most asteroids live in this area between Mars and Jupiter, the, the so-called asteroid belt. Um, and, and so the, the um, asteroids that's, that stay within that belt are colored here in green. Um, most asteroids stay within the asteroid belt, um, fortunately for us. But there are a lot of asteroids colored here in red that go all the way in to... Um, within the orbit of Mercury, and of course many of them pass the Earth's orbit, and, um, and so all of those red ones are called near-Earth asteroids. They're not all hazardous to us because, um, because their orbits are such, you know, most of them, their orbits are such that they would never intersect um, uh, the Earth, but, um, but a good many of them are, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Of course, um, the solar system being a dangerous place, um, Earth has been impacted many times, and, um, and I've already mentioned the, uh, the Chicxulub event um, that occurred 66 million years ago um, and led to the, uh, to the demise of the dinosaurs. That's a, um, a map of where it, where it occurred, and um, this uh, figure here on the, on the right is the gravity anomaly, um, <coughs> which, uh, um, I mean, uh, th these gravity measurements are very simple to make, um, and that's what led to the discovery of this, um, of this impact structure. Um, it was discovered by um, the Pemex, the, the Mexican oil um, uh, exploration company, um, and kept secret by them for about 20 years um, while, while um, lots of speculation was occurring about where that crater was. The, the, the actual fact that the Earth had been impacted by a meteor had already been discovered, um, by um, looking at the, um, the, um, the iridium anomaly, so-called, in the, in the KT boundary, in the Cretaceous-Tertiary boundary. Um, <clears throat> and so it was, it was known that, that, um, that an impact had occurred, um, and people were looking for the crater for about 20 years before um, Pemex finally owned up to the fact that they knew about it um, all along. So that's, um, that was the... Uh, um, uh, event that, that ended the Cretaceous period or associated with the end of the Cretaceous period. There are lots more, um, and, and you've probably all been to this site, um, or many of you have, I'm sure, um, Barringer Crater um, by Winslow, Arizona, um, which was um, a, the, the site of an impact of a rather small meteor, only a 50-meter um, meteor um, that was made of solid iron, so it really packed a punch. Um, it occurred about 50,000 years ago, um, and if it had... If it occurred today, it would, you know, wipe out Flagstaff and and um, and and a bunch of the small cities in that area. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't have global consequences probably, but um, but it would certainly be devastating locally. Um, even more recently, of course, um, in um, in Siberia in 1908, um, a um, bolide exploded over the taiga um, and um, resulted in the um, the felling of, of um, trees over thousands of square miles. Um, th this was an event that, um, that th the energy associated with it was, was probably around um, between 3 and 10 megatons. Um, so it, 
so obviously if this had happened near a populated area, um, it could have resulted in, in, um, in, in um, uh, very large numbers of casualties in the tens of thousands or, or even millions. And then even more recently, um, in um, February of 2013, there was this event... What? Oh. Why? Okay, all right. Well, we go to the next one. So, so this, is, this is one of the dash cams of one of the um, cars <clears throat> that was uh, driving around Chelyabinsk that day, Feb- 15th of February, early in the morning, 9.30 in the morning, um, before dawn. Um, this is in, you know, far up north. And you see, all of a sudden, this very bright thing that, that's uh, casting shadows. It's, it's uh, as bright as the sun. Um, ex- um, had two or three explosions during the course of its pass through the atmosphere, and those explosions um, resulted in um, in a number of casualties. Some some 1,200 people went to the hospital, um, usually from cuts, um, and those. This is really weird. Some of, the, some of my slides just aren't showing up. Um, so this one should have shown <laughs> some buildings with windows knocked out. What, what happened was, of course, that people would, would see a bright flash and go to the window and see what it was about. Um, and, of course, the flash occurred several seconds before the shockwave arrived. Um, and then the shock, when the shockwave hit the windows, um, they smashed and, um, and uh, resulted in, in lots of cuts to, uh, to people's faces. And, and you know, so, so a number of people were injured rather seriously and had to be taken to hospital, some 1,200, I think, um, in that day. There was also the other... <laughs> on the other side of this picture is, is, a, um, is a hole that, um, that was made in an ice-covered lake. The ice was um, perhaps two feet thick or something like that. And, um, and there's this nice, round, circular hole that, uh, um, that resulted from the end of the meteor's passage. It just dropped and, um, and went through the ice. Um, and it was a piece about a meter or so big in size, and, and, um, and I actually got to see it in the Chelyabinsk Museum um, a few months after that event. Let's see. Oh, dear. <clears throat> so, so why aren't these slides showing up? Ah. Keynote just crashed. That may be Why? Sorry. <laughs> Things happen. Right. We hope it comes back. And play. All right. Um, show navigator. Let's go back to where we were. Right. Oh, hang on. That's the wrong one. There. <laughs> yeah, so this is the, the hole, um, you know, some uh, 30 feet across or so, um, made by um, a rock about this big um, that just fell, and, and the ice is there about three feet thick. So um, that was, of course, um, detected by sensors that, um, that our government has placed in Earth orbit um, as... Um, and it's that big red event that's right over um, the Ural Mountains. Um, there have been some 778 events um, like that, well, not as big as that, that have been um, detected by, by our sensors um, over the last 20 years, 21 years. So there are about you know, 30 to 40 
per year um, that, that, that we see. These are fireballs that, um, you know, meteors, asteroids, small asteroids that impact the Earth's atmosphere and, and, uh, and produce a big flash of light. Um, and most of them, of course, are not dangerous. Um, the, the Chelyabinsk one um, was dangerous, and there was a similar size, some, somewhat smaller one over um, the um, Bering Sea um, just last December um, that, you know, again, it occurred over a not-inhabited area, and so it didn't cause any casualties, but it certainly, certainly made a big flash. Um, so um, there are lots of these out, th- out there. They hit the Earth all the time, um, and, um, you know, most of them... Um, Cause, um, cause no damage. Um, a few of them cause some amount of damage. Um, so what's the nature of the threat altogether? Um, so here's, you can go to the Minor Planet Center. It's, it's, an, it's a website that's, um, that's out there and it's updated constantly. Um, and, um, and you can get a tally of, of, of what's out there. Um, so um, the main belt has you know, 735,918 asteroids in it. Um, the, the ones that come and cross Earth's orbit are um, a much smaller number than that, just a little under 20,000 at the moment. Of that number, um, some nearly 900 are larger than a kilometer in size, and those um, we'd be particularly concerned about if they hit the Earth. They would cause some uh, um, global consequences. Um, And then there's a category called potentially hazardous asteroids, which um, just basically means that they're above a certain size and, um, and have a certain probability of, of hitting the Earth, and, and there's nearly 2,000 of those. Um, this site is updated d- um, practically daily, um, or as soon as new discoveries come in, um, and in fact, you can compare those numbers with, um, with some num- numbers that I picked up um, just a couple of years ago. So... Um, in, in the course of a couple of years, 3,000 more near-Earth asteroids have been discovered, um, and of the, um, of the larger-than-one-kilometer ones, um, there have been some um, 20 more um, discovered. So, um, so this is constantly being updated. We, don't, we, um, we know that we haven't seen everything yet, um, and so we want to keep an eye on the skies and, um, and, and keep watching them. So the potentially hazardous asteroids, as I said, are those that are above a certain size and, um, and have a certain probability of hitting the Earth. In 2013, um, this plot was made of the orbits of all those potentially hazardous ones. Um, the, um, the reason this hasn't been updated since 2013 is, is that if you, if you tried to do it now, um, everything would be blue. <laughs> you wouldn't see the individual orbits anymore. Um, so, so many more have been discovered since, um, since that time. And in fact, the, the rate of discovery of near-Earth asteroids um, is increasing exponentially. Um, the, um, so we're, we've got nearly 20,000 um, of near-Earth asteroids um, those that are larger than, than one kilometer, um, so nearly 900. But you notice that the, that the rate of increase of, of these has leveled off. And that tells us that we're close to um, getting all of them. Um, and the estimate is that we, have, that, we, that we have about 90% of these. Um, so that means that there are you know, 90 more yet to be discovered. Um, we don't know where they are. Um, we hope we'll find them eventually. But, um, um, but you know, it gives us some confidence that we're, that we're on the right track to finding them all. Um, the, so one kilometer is, um, is the threshold about uh, above which we're really concerned that, that uh, you know, some global consequences might occur. Um, in, um, I think it was 2000, um, 2008, um, Congress asked NASA to, um, to find all of those that, l- that were larger than 140 meters. And the reason for that was at that time they thought that um, tsunamis would be um, a major concern um, if, an, if an asteroid impacted in the middle of an ocean. Um, and so um, it, they, they asked NASA to find all 90% of the ones that were larger than 140 meters, but they didn't give NASA the money to do that. Um, nevertheless, um, people have been working on, on, um, on finding those as well. And, um, and it look, uh, who knows? I mean, I think we're about 30% of the way there um, on that. And so we won't meet the deadline. We didn't meet the deadline of discovering them all by 2020 um, because we didn't, the, NASA wasn't given the money to do it. Um, but um, on, the, on the 
good news side of that, um, the calculations that I've done and some other people have done um, have um, convinced um, the majority of the community that we don't really have to worry about 140-meter asteroids hitting in the middle of the ocean. What will happen is a big splash, um, and, um, and uh, you know, if you're close by, for example, if a big splash occurs outside of San Diego, you would um, have a concern, but the concern would actually be more from the fireball that's produced on impact wiping out San Diego, and then the big splash produces a wave that, 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 uh, that washes the remains out to sea. Um, in the middle of an ocean, there's, the, there's really not much of a concern for 140-meter asteroids, um, but we are concerned about things that are you know, sort of 500 meters and, and larger, in particular the, the, um, the one-kilometer size. So, um, oh, I misspoke. Um, we actually think we have 95% of these guys rather than 90%. So, so, um, so that reduces by half what we yet need to discover. So we need to discover about 45 to 50 more um, of these guys. Um, and and in, these, in these other bins, um, 300 to, one, to 1,000 meters, we've got 60% of them so far. Um, so, um, so this one we really need to push. Um, and, um, and then the smaller size bins, we, um, we just have no idea. Um, you know how, how many how many more are left to be found, but um, the good news is that um, that we really don't have to worry about things on this side. Um, there are just so many of them, um, and they all most of them burn up in the Earth's atmosphere. One caveat on that, however, is that the iron meteorite that hit um, and produced Barringer Crater was only 50 meters in size, um, and um, irons. Um, iron meteorites are much less common than, um, than stonies. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we have to put in some fudge factors for that. But uh, um, when you detect something out in space, you don't know what its composition is. Um, you had a... When you put the size yeah. what it is before it gets... Yes, yes, yeah, mm -hmm. before the... Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, and, and the Barringer one was 50 meters before it hit, before it hit the atmosphere. Um, we reckon. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so you don't know what, what it's made of when you, when you first detect it. You detect it as a spot of light, and you have to do a lot more, you know, characterization with spec spectroscopy and, and so forth. Um, and ideally, you'd want to um, uh, detect it in a variety of methods. You want to, you, um, you know, for, for really close passages, you'd like to um, uh, hit it with radar um, and, and get some signals back and, and get some more characterization of it. Um, but, um, but for most of these guys, we don't have that. Um, so, so what's the real risk? Um, so this is a, um, a graph that uh, impact frequency versus yield. So um, <clears throat> the, um, something like the KT boundary, um, the Chicxulub impact, we expect to occur um, once in 100 million years. And that's, and that's basically based on how many asteroids we see of a certain brightness um, that are out there um, in the solar system. Um, and um, something that, that, that would um, have a global catastrophic impact, um, we expect to see once every sort of 10 million years or something. Um, the Tunguska event um, occurred in 1908. That's consistent with it being once every century or once every few centuries or so. Um, and then um, about every year, most of those fireballs that we see um, you know, are, are Hiroshima size. Um, or lower, and so um, so those um, you know th those are mostly taken up by our by our atmosphere. We're fortunately fortunate enough to be protected by an atmosphere that can absorb Hiroshima-sized events without um, without communicating um, them to um, to casualties on the ground. Um, but um, but the things that, that we're really interested in trying to prevent are are things on on this part, and. Um, <clears throat> And, and the goal of, of getting 90% of all of the, of all of the um, ones larger than 140 meters in size is, um, is targeted to that, to that region. So it's, it's, so it's not something that we have to worry about on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, it, it's, a, it's, it's an important problem, but not an urgent one. Nevertheless, it's worth spending some money to, um, to work on it. Um, and the lesson for all of us in that... <coughs> is that uh, um, species that, that uh, lived before us didn't have the capability that we now have to, um, to try to prevent something. And, and um, this is, uh, I owe this to my wife, Susan, who, um, who 
produced this poster for, um, for the March um, for Science um, a couple of years ago. And I just love it. <clears throat> so what can we do about it? The main thing we can do about it is find them, find those potentially hazardous asteroids. So, um, you know, have telescopes like the PanStars telescope or the Magdalena Ridge Observatory telescope look um, at the sky all the time um, and, um, and see, see what you can find. Um, you find them, then you have to calculate their orbits, you, which means you have to observe them over, um, you know, some period of time um, and, um, and try to monitor when they're going to come back and, and catch them again and so forth. Um, you want to try to understand what they're made of, so you do spectroscopy, you do rotation curves and, and all of this sort of thing. <clears throat> and then, um, then if you find one that's, um, that's on its way to us and, and is serious enough to worry about, you uh, um, develop and execute a deflection mission. So in terms of sky coverage, well, you're limited um, by the f you know, f for, for optical work. Um, you're limited by the fact that you can only observe at night um, and you can o only observe when the clouds aren't bothering you. Um, and, um, and so as a result, you only see those that are in, th that are in, the, um, in the opposite side um, of the Earth from the sun. Um, you don't see those that are coming at you from the sun. And, um, and so the Chelyabinsk one, remember it happened at 9.30 in the morning, um, so, um, and, um, and the trajectory was such that it was coming um, you know, out, of the, out of the morning sky. Um, so, um, so it would not have been detected by, um, by um, sensors, by our telescopes before it hit. So because the nighttime sky is only half of the sky, actually less than half of the sky, um, it, we, we only detect about half of these things before they actually hit us. Um, so, um, so what we have to do is catch them many um, oppositions before they hit us. And so we, you just have to keep watching all the sky. So this, this um, map is, is a map of the entire sky. Most of the part... Uh, okay, so, so all of these little squares are fields of view that, are, um, that have been observed during this month. Um, from third, the 6th of um, March to the 6th of April um, by individual telescopes. And, di and different colors tell you which, which telescopes were observing them. <clears throat> the, um, the parts around the sides are um, daytime sky, um, so you don't see those at all. Um, the part down here is southern sky. We don't have as many telescopes in the south as we do in, in the north. Um, and, um, and, of course, we don't have any in the, in the Arctic Circle either. Um, so, um, so we have, you know, just a limited coverage of the sky. Um, I should say most, um, most asteroids are fairly close to the, to the ecliptic. Um, so, um, so looking um, towards the North Celestial Pole or the South Celestial Pole doesn't really buy you much, um, although there, would, there might be some. Um, if, you're, if you're interested in, in following this stuff, you can subscribe to this uh, little publication that comes out of the Minor Planet Center called Daily Minor Planet. Um, and, um, and it tells you that uh, um, this uh, asteroid 2016 GE1, which was actually observed, detected three years ago, is going to fly by the Earth on um, April 5th um, at 1.9 times the distance of the moon at such and such a speed, you know, so it's harmless. And we get these, um, they, they used to come every day, they, um, they've started, stopped sending them every day, but, um, but you get them every few days. So if you're interested, subscribe to that and, and, uh, and you know, it might keep you up at night. <laughs> but, I mean, to me, it's, it's just a reassurance that, uh, that, that the system is working, that, uh, you know, people are looking for these things and, and, um, and finding them. Um, so here is a list of some recent asteroid close approaches um, that um, that you get from the from the Center for Near Earth um, Center for Near Earth Object Studies CNEOS at JPL, um, and um, so all of these guys that I've listed here in this table have approached within the orbit of the Moon, um, and um, I've been keeping a list of these since since. Uh, um, 2016, and, um, and so far I have 150 of them. Um, and if you want um, to, um, to see all of them um, in their orbits, um, come to my planetarium show on May 25th, and, um, and I will show you in the, in the real sky the orbits of, of 150 um, asteroids that have come within um, the, lunar, um, the lunar orbit. It's 
it's fun um, and not intended to be scary, although, um, although you, might, <coughs> you might take it as, as being scary. Most of these things, you see, are very small. Um, they're, um, you know, five meters to 45 meters <coughs> in size. Um, w- uh, so you wouldn't expect them to do much. Um, but the fact that we're observing these guys and detecting them routinely also tells us that, we're, we're, um, that we would be detecting the larger ones if they were um, coming that close. And sometimes we do have some fairly large ones that come between um, the Earth and, and the Moon. Um, and, um, and so far, they've all passed as harmlessly by. So the question that always comes up then is, are there any objects out there that we know of that have their eye on us? And the answer is yes. <clears throat> so here, um, so also at, uh, at this uh, same website at cneos.jpl.nasa.gov, under the, under the table entry Century, um, we have um, a list of objects, um, and I think there are, um, in total, some 700 objects that have their eye on us, or we think they might have their eye on us. Um, so I've just listed here um, the top seven from that list in terms of cumulative probability. Um, so, so a lot of these objects have um, potential impacts many, many times um, over the course of the next few hundred years. Um, and each, um, each one has an impact probability that's very, very small at the moment. Um, as the orbits improve, um, what happens usually is that those probabilities of impact go down and eventually to zero. Um, in um, in uh, some cases, those probabilities of impact will rise for a while, and then you get worried. Um, and whether they rise all the way to one, um, you know, you never know until they actually rise that far. Um, so it might start making you nervous when you see one rising up, and so you might want to start planning a deflection mission of some kind. So in this table, the ones that, that, that I'd be really concerned about are two. Um, there's this um, 2907-5-1950-DA, um, so it's been known since 1950 that this is a threat to us, but, um, and there's um, one po- possible impact in 2880. So we have 800 years to take care of that. Um, the, the probability is still small. It's um, one part in 10,000. But, but, but this could rise. And, and the fact that it's still on this list ever since 1950 um, tells us that the orbit, hasn't, um, has, the orbit improvements haven't made that probability go to zero. In fact, it's been pretty constant over, over the last 60 68 years. I was born in 1950. <laughs> <laughs> the other one that I'm concerned about, um, and I'm concerned about that one because it's so big, it's, it's 1.3 kilometers in size. The other one um, that I'm concerned about is one that was just detected um, in, um, nine years ago in 2010, and it's 1,260 meters in size. And note, there's one possibility of impact this year in, um, in December. But the probability of that impact is, um, is uh, one part in 10 billion. Um, so um, so it's, it's most likely not going to happen. Um, but nevertheless, over the next 100 years, over the, uh, until 2101, there are 30 more impacts, um, potential impacts, um, occurring every December, um, about once every three years, that people will have to be um, watching for. Um, on the other hand, um, th- this one might go away completely um, the next time it's observed. So, um, so maybe we have to worry about it, maybe not. Um, there are two named asteroids on this list, Bennu and Apophis. Um, Apophis made a big stir um, when it was first discovered in, in, um, in um, 1994, I think it was. Um, because um, it had a, a, a fairly large probability of um, impact in 2036. Um, so that's, you know, not, not you know, it's, it's within the lifetime of, of, of lots of people here. Um, and um, so that made a big stir. It turns out that that um, possibility has gone away completely, but there's still some possibilities from 2060 to 2105 um, that, that you'll have to keep an eye on. Bennu... Um, so, so Apophis is 370 meters in size. Bennu is almost half a kilometer in size. 
Um, and, um, and, and so that one has, has some possibilities of impact about 150 years from now. Um, so um, the, the uh, NASA probe Osir um, OSIRIS-REx has just arrived at Bennu um, to make some detailed characterizations of it, and so we'll not know a lot more about it um, in the next few years. Um, and um, we'll get a sample return, I hope, um, from that, and, um, and so we'll understand a lot more about, about um, the potentials there. So there's one other that has a potential impact in, in 2019, um, in October. Um, and then that one is... Uh, yeah, about one part in a billion. Um, so again, it's it's not something that will that should keep us up at night, but um, but it's something to be watched. Um, and then it um, it comes back every um, I think four years. Um, so we'll have to keep watching um, watching the skies for that one. Most of these go away, um, and um, and we just hope hope uh, that um, that um, we hope that they all do eventually. But of course, we will get hit at some point, or we will have something that we have to worry about, and so then the, op then, the, then the question is, what do you do about it? So people have been concerned about this for quite a while and, and, um, and have developed um, various ideas for, for what to do about it. Um, the favorite um, across the canyon here is to send up a nuclear explosive device and set it off in the vicinity um, not, not on the thing, not, not Bruce Willis with his, uh, um, you know, <laughs> with his drill and so forth, but, um, but set it off in the vicinity so that you um, create um, an ablation crater and, um, and the, the stuff that comes off the ejecta from that would help push the asteroid out of the, out of the way. Another one that, that, um, that has also been worked on across the canyon is, is a, a kinetic impact um, where um, you simply send up a, fair, a fairly hefty cannonball kind of thing and, and, just, and just hit the thing. Um, you know, so, so not only would you impart momentum to it directly by hitting it, but also you would create a crater, and the ejector from that crater would help push it away as well. Um, other people who are um, less violently inclined than, um, than, than we are um, <coughs> would uh, prefer options like the gravity tractor, where you just send up a, um, a, a massive spacecraft and use its um, maneuvering engines to, um, to steer the, the, um, the asteroid out of the way. So it's the mutual gravitational attraction between the spacecraft and the asteroid, um, it, you know, once, once you start pushing on the spacecraft, you'll move the asteroid as well. The problem with that is that uh, that's a very slow method. Violence is quick, right? Um, the, the, these gentle methods are very, very slow, and, and so you would need a lot more warning time and preparation time in order for, the, for them to work. So, um, so on the other side of the canyon, we are um, very skeptical that, 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 those, that, that the gentle methods would ever be used. That, um, you know, really, if, if push games came to shove and, um, and our planet were under, under threat of uh, an impact from something, we would um, resort to, to the most violent means at our disposal to, uh, to um, control and, and mitigate. Another possibility that's, that's been talked about that, that um, I think has more promise than the gravity tractor, um, but is still met with considerable skepticism by, by those on the in the violent community, um, are um, sending up swarms of spacecraft with lasers or with solar mirrors to focus, um, focus energy on the, um, the, uh, the asteroid and, um, and uh, thereby create an ablation pattern that would, that would shove it out of the way. So, um, so um, most people in... in uh, so the, the, there is a world community of, um, of uh, planetary defense uh, people, um, and I've been to several of these conferences um, in, yeah, there was, there was one in, in Granada in 2009, in Bucharest in 2011, Flagstaff in 2013, Frascati um, in 2015, and um, the most recent one was in Tokyo in 2017. There will be one this coming May in, um, in Washington, D.C., which will be the first one that I, that, uh, that I will have ever missed. Um, because I'm officially retired, I'm not <laughs> not doing this anymore. Um, but um, but I'm still keeping up with things. Obviously, it's um, entertaining. And and um, and when I give the talk at the planetarium in, on on May, I will have some spies at the 
at the next PDC, and, and they will tell me what they've learned. Um, but, um, but anyway, there is an international community that's involved with this, and they, and they do things, they, they have little scenarios where, they, um, where, where somebody um, from JPL concocts a fictitious asteroid that has an impact some 10 or so years from now, and, um, and then we all have to get together around a table and figure out what to do about it. Um, and, uh, and, and these can be very entertaining discussions, and, and, um, and it actually reveals that um, most people around the world favor the violent options. Um, it, it tends to be people in the United States that, that you know, apart from those across the canyon and, and, and similar places around the country, that, that favor the gentle options. And, and I'm really, really puzzled about this because I thought we were a violent people, but maybe we're not. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing is, when the world is under threat, you have to do what you have to do to, to protect it. And, and, and I think, um, in the end, probably, um, prob- probably the violent option will prevail. Um, one thing that you can do for fun is to, um, to go to this website, the C- CNEOS website, and play with their deflection app. Um, so, um, so you can, um, uh, they have several simulated near-Earth objects, and, and, and one of them is the one from the last Planetary Defense Conference. Um, I think this has been updated with the one from this coming Planetary Defense Conference. So you can um, you know, set these different options, um, you know, when, you're going to, when you're going to launch your, ve- your heavy vehicles and, and when you're going to arrive at the, um, at the asteroid and when you're going to set off the bomb or, or the kinetic device and, and see what happens. You know? So, so um, in this program are all the calculations that need to be done to, um, to um, predict the orbit of the spacecraft um, and, um, and then the subsequent orbit of the um, asteroid after you execute the deflection attempt. And so you can play with this and, and, um, and see what luck you have. You find that it's very difficult to design a successful mission. Elroy. So that's uh, uh, <laughs> so um, in principle, yes. Um, but um, but typically, what we do so so here here is a spot of impact, um, and and typically what you do is is you try to you um, you move the spot away, and and the the one that I've concocted here, I actually played with this enough to to move the the actual um, um, place where the where the asteroid went um, over here. So that's you know a couple of three or four Earth radii away from, from the Earth. So you, you can do it. It's, um, it takes a little trickiness, and you have to understand a little bit about orbits and so, and so forth to get it right. But, um, but, um, but yes, yeah, so, so what you're asking is to move the spot from here to, um, to here or something like that. And, and that's, that's, that's dicey. <laughs> You'd rather move it right off the Earth, right? <laughs> and, and the other reason why that's dicey is that, um, you know, if you... If you, um, you know, say you've got a trajectory that, that crosses a number of countries and some oceans, and then some other countries on the other side, um, you want to, if you want to drop it in the ocean, um, you might hit it too hard and drop it in the countries on the other side, or you might hit it too soft and drop it on the countries on this side, and, um, and the countries involved um, aren't going to be terribly happy with you, um, <laughs> depending upon how it works. George. Yes. So, um, so yes, there is a mission that's been on the books um, to um, there, um, what the, the plan would be to um, deflect an, an asteroid that's in orbit around another asteroid and see if you can change the orbit, uh, orbital period of that. And, um, and so that's called the DART mission, Double Asteroid Redirection Test. Um, and, um, and it was to have two parts, um, a monitor mission from, um, from ESA and the impactor mission from, from NASA. Um, I'm afraid so. Um, the, um, the, the ESA mission um, failed to get approval through the, uh, the European Council. The NASA mission has been scaled back significantly. Um, so I think people, so this would have, the, the launches would have been this year um, for both things. Neither will happen. Um, so, um, so I think at this coming planetary defense mission, they're going to try to talk about um, another 
possible test. So, so yes, the answer is um, people have been thinking about tests of this, um, and, um, and something will be done at some point. Um, I hope within my lifetime, <laughs> um, but, um, but it's not going to happen when, when, I originally, when we originally thought it was going to happen, unfortunately. Yes? You talked about the, most of the real dangerous ones potentially could come from the sun. What is a realistic measure of time we have available before we have, you know, we know that it's... Right. Yeah, so... So, so the, the tests that we, usually, we, we are usually given at the planetary defense conferences are, are something like this. This is where you have, um, well, this one actually shows 25 or 30 years in advance warning, but the, but the ones that we've been given have, are typically like 10 years. You know? so, so we would like to be able to, to, uh, to plan a mission um, you know, with, uh, with a good you know, number of decades even um, advance warning. The, so, so 1950 DA, um, 2880 is the impact time. Um, uh, so we've got 800 years to, to figure things out. Um, Bennu, 2180. Um, so we've got 150 years to figure things out. What, what, what will happen is that the probability of impact will, um, you know, it could go to zero, but it could rise slowly, rise, rise, rise. When is the threshold when you say you need to do something? You know, is it... 10% chance? Is it 50% chance? And it takes time for that to get there. You know, you need... Um, so, so in this launch, that um, the successful deflection attempt, I launched my rocket about six years before and, um, and executed the deflection three years before um, the impact. Um, and that was enough to, to move it all the way off. Um, there are other possibilities that give you a lot less time. Um, it's, it's bit, you know, if you, if, you can, if you can hit it much earlier, you can move it farther away with more probability of success. Um, so um, so this, is all, this is all up for discussion. And, and um, th- you know, th- there are you know, continual discussions about how to do this. Yes? Twenty thirty six. Yeah. Is there, is there any risk at all? In 2036, none. It's, you know, that, that has gone um, you know, way below um, 10 billion to one. Um, so, um, or one, one in 10 billion, I should say. Um, so um, in 2060, we still we have, we have some probability. Um, the, what was it? The cumulative for Apophis, um, cumulative for Apophis over all 12 Potential impacts is just one, one in hundred thousand. Um, so, um, so each one of these is some some smaller number than that. Um, so, um, so 2060 is is something that we that, that we'd be looking at for Apophis. So that's so I, I guess that's the closest one that, that or the soonest one that we really well maybe this one 1979 XB, but um, but it's even less and it's it's two so, and yeah one part in a million. Um, yeah, so, I mean, th- th- these are all things that we'll keep an eye on. And, um, you know, if I go back to this table six months from now, it'll be different. Um, you know, some of these things will have disappeared. Some of them, the, the probabilities would have changed. I guess I have to stop. It's quarter past, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Any more? Yes. Okay, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, so just because things are presently in the asteroid belt doesn't mean that we will never have to worry about them. Um, there, you know, as, as Jim says, there are two-body and three-body interactions that, that could change the orbits of, of asteroids, and, um, and we have to watch for those. Um, so what would happen um, is that um, you know, so you'd, you'd see something perturbed from its original orbit and then, um, and then become a near-Earth asteroid. I mean, all the near-Earth asteroids that we have were originally main-belt asteroids, we think. And so they were all perturb- perturbed into, into Earth-crossing asteroids. Um, so you'd have to watch it. You'd, you'd, you'd find something that's been perturbed. You'd see its orbit. Then you'd have to watch it for some time and see what it's, uh, it's going to do. Um, it's um, extremely unlikely that you would have something, um, you know, a, a, 
a, a multiple body interaction that would immediately produce one that's going to impact us. Um, you know, the space is huge, right? Um, possible, but, um, but I, I don't know um, that that probability has actually been calculated. But it's, um, I would guess it's extremely small. The other thing that, um, that could be of concern um, are um, comets that, um, that come um, towards the Earth or towards the inner solar system on their first visit. Um, we have, you know, in, in that table that I showed a while ago, there are 107 near-Earth comets. So we know um, a lot about them, and, um, and that number does not increase. I mean, we, we, we've seen 107, um, you know, for, for 50 years or something like that, and um, we haven't seen any more. Um, but there's always a possibility that, that um, you know, a, um, um, a hail bop or a, or a Hyakutake-type um, comet could, um, could all of a sudden appear and, um, and be on a collision course with Earth. Um, we think the probability of, of that is much, much less than the probability of near-Earth asteroids, but, um, again, that's something that's very difficult to calculate and, and um, um, you know, precisely, and, and I don't think that's, that's actually been done. Um, so, um, and, the, and the worry about that is that um, you would only have a few months at most between the first detection and the impact. Um, and they're also much bigger um, than typical asteroids. Um, so so that's, a, that's a nightmare scenario. Um, and, um, and, and we do, really don't have anything in our, in our um, um, inventory to, uh, to deal with something like that. Yes? Right. 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 Your congressman. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Edward Teller certainly was was one of the early advocates of of the violent options, um, and um, and you know he has proteges all over the the country who are um, you know um, both at this lab and at um, at uh, the sister lab in California who are um, you know following in um, in that lead. Um, there, there's not much money um, from Congress to do this kind of work. Um, and so that's, uh, um, that's basically the bottleneck there. But, um, um, but some of the people at NASA are extremely concerned about this because, um, oh shoot, um, trying to think of the guy's name. Um, he's in his 30s, got long hair, drives a Camaro, and, and uh, really likes to drive fast. And, um, and he, he works at NASA Goddard um, and, um, and is... Um, probably the um, spearhead at the moment of planetary defense efforts um, in the United States. Um, and he points out that, uh, um, you know, if, if that typical space missions take five or six years to, to plan and develop in the first place, um, and if you have to add that to the lead times that we're talking about, um, then, uh, then it makes things you know, pretty much impossible. So he's a very strong advocate from the NASA side of, um, of developing an inventory of, um, of spacecraft that can um, be fielded at a moment's notice with either nuclear weapons on board or uh, kinetic impactors on board and possibly both um, to, uh, to ensure um, success of, of this kind of thing. And, and uh, um, gosh, I wish I could think of his name because he deserves a lot of credit for, for what he's doing. But, uh, um, but yeah, um, so things are, things are in the works. Um, you know, the, 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 the real problem is, is getting the, the, um, the powers that be to, to fund these projects. Yes? Yes. 
Yes, yeah, they, they do. Um, so, so you just keep track of them. Um, you know, everything that, that, that is visible on, on the night sky will at some point be um, on approaching you from the day side. So, so you, you observe them first on the night. The, the other thing that we can do um, that, um, that, again, has um, been proposed many times but, um, but not fielded for lack of funding is, um, is a satellite um, that will um, orbit Venus, perhaps, um, and be looking um, at, um, at, you know, its night side, but our day side, to, uh, to increase the coverage. Also, also possible are um, satellites that orbit the, the sun independently of the Earth and, um, and, and, and sweep out a, a, a broad range of the ecliptic to look for um, those other guys. Yes, John? That's eighty percent of the of the population of the United States will regard this as bullshit. And and that's a more urgent problem. I, I totally agree. Um, the, the you know we yeah education in in science um, you know convincing climate deniers and all that is a much more urgent problem than this. Um, if one of these things were to happen, we don't worry about global warming, right? But, but, um, but we have to solve global warming. We also have to do things like prevent epidemics and prevent wars and prevent um, you know, all of these other things that, that society is prevalent to before we deal with this problem. So, so in a sense, the, the, the lack of funding for this um, you know, it, it kind of reflects some priorities. Nevertheless, I wish there were more funding for this. <laughs> right. I hear where you're going on this. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. 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 There have probably been some science fiction books written about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Chuck. Yeah, so so our the sun's orbit through the galaxy um, takes us up and down through the galactic plane on a, on a cycle of some ten to thirty million years, um, and um, you know so, so um, there are there will be times when we pass close enough to other stars that the Oort cloud can be disturbed and and send you know send more comets into the inner solar system and stuff. Yeah, that that does that does and has happened. Um, but that's, yeah, <laughs> can't, can't offer any more on that. Um, I really should stop. Yeah, so <laughs> thank you all for the questions. You, you, you guys have been great. Mm-hmm.